Okay, so all of us have benefited so much from this preaching conference, and it's very um, exciting to, to end with a little discussion. Uh, we are still accepting questions. If you have questions, just send them to Pastor Nate on his phone um, through text, and he can, he can get those uh, throughout. It's not too late. Um, but we do have some questions already um, set up to go. So maybe you're already thinking about, you know, some, some other additional practical ways that we can live, the, live these things out. And a lot of these questions focus on that. So each question, we, we only need maybe one or two of the, of the speakers to, to share. So I'll, I'll let you guys, I'm not going to choose who to speak. Maybe you can just think about which ones you want to answer. And here's one that we're going to start with. Going back to last night's topics of Bible intake and prayer, um, do you have any ordinary or maybe even unique practices or of Bible intake or prayer that you would recommend? Um, maybe just talking about something that's been really helpful to you. <clears throat> well, I've got the mic, so I guess I'll start. Um, I'd start by saying and I'm sure there's others that, that feel this way in this room, that um, for a long portion of my Christian life, it Bible intake and prayer for that matter, but Bible intake in particular was not a priority. Um, so to Dave's point, if you're at zero, try to move to one. That is a quantum leap. So, so be encouraged. Don't let Satan accuse you and keep you in that ditch. Um, there's always room to grow. <clears throat> And, and also, if you're, if you're doing well, never be satisfied and, and continue to, to grow. But for me, uh, what's been helpful is uh, finding a time that works. Everybody's a little different. For me, it's got to be first thing in the morning or it's not going to happen. Um, and then, and as spoke to today, trying to be consistent and just shooting for that, even if it's not a long period of time. <coughs> Excuse me. But what's been something maybe a little more unique is I, I spend a lot of time on the road driving to work is uh, I used to utilize that time just to listen to mindless radio or something, and it would just make me angry. So, <laughs> excuse me, but what I've done is try to utilize that time, half an hour there, half an hour back, to either just listening to the Bible app as mentioned, or when I'm working sometimes, if it's a mundane task that I'm doing, I work with my hands, a lot of repetition, is I'll, I'll listen to the, the audio Bible, and you'd be surprised. You can listen to most of <laughs> Paul's letters in one afternoon if you're just listening. And you're not going to maybe gain every nuance about it, but you'll. for me, it was the first time in my life that I think it really became clear the themes that you keep hearing again and again because you're like, I just heard that half an hour ago, an hour ago. So that's been really helpful to me. So utilizing time on the road and when you're working with earbuds, just listening to God's word. This is related. I really, really like that. And this is sort of related, but uh, same on prayer life. And I, we all feel like we want to, we all need to do better, right? But um, same, I kind of made this decision. We're going to turn, turn it off in the car, and I use that for prayer time. Or I work, I'm walking from my house across to uh, where I'm teaching, and it's like a 15-minute walk. So there's my prayer time on the way there, my prayer time on the way back. Wow, yeah, that's a nice bit of time right there. So, and then praying out loud, and um, sometimes walking and praying out loud. But for me, praying out loud is so much better than just sitting there and kind of letting my mind run. So, 
Joel, I envision you walking down busy streets, people wondering, that guy's talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that the Lord convicted me about in the last couple years is if I really believe that my Bible intake is important and that the Lord is wanting to teach me through this, that I need to be doing a better job of connecting that to my prayer life each day. And so one of the things that I've just tried to get back to is writing down one thing each day. And I just write it down in a little journal, usually just a few sentences, but then seeking to connect that to what I pray about uh, in my prayer time because I believe that God is uh, teaching me through that, and so I want to respond to whatever it is that the Lord shows me, and I think that has been something that the Lord has been doing in my life over these last few years. Thank you. A lot of these questions will be a little bit similar, so we'll just move on. I know each of you could, could share for each one, but we'll, let's go ahead and have another question. Um, what Bible study tools do you use to prepare a sermon and what commentaries or other, other tools would you recommend for personal study of passages? I, um, I'm not sure what happened to the stool budget. It ran out <laughs> at four. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I'll, I'll just jump in here because this is really, this is like a, a black hole. Like you ask, you know, ministers and seminary professors what, what tips they have. Uh, like just get comfortable. You're going to be here the rest of your life. Um, and so I would just say in terms of something that anybody could do, something that is just super accessible, that is also totally fundamental, my first step is always, if I'm, if I'm trying to really understand a particular passage, is to read it a bunch of times. And any, anybody can do that. <laughs> uh, read it a bunch of times. And then my second step, which is also anybody can do with a sheet of paper. You don't need any special anything. My second step is to write it, to write it out, and to write it out as an outline uh, so that I can see the relationship between the different parts of each sentence and the different parts of the paragraph. And so I'll, this is a little bit like, like you might have done this in school where you did like sentence diagramming. Some people do it like that. I don't really do it exactly like that. But I'll just write it out as an outline. So like what's, what's the main verb in this sentence? And then what are the bits that go under that? Or you know, what's, how, are these, how do each of these descriptions connect? And I do it as an outline. Some people draw lines. You can do all that with no resources and, and no anything fancy. And if you spend an hour or, or so on that, depending on how much you read, that's the first major block in my preparation, and I know it is for some of these other guys too. So I would encourage you guys to start there. You can do tons and tons without ever like picking up a, a cool book or something that you're not sure about. If that sounded a little bit nebulous because we don't have a specific text in front of us, um, Tuesday night, what I mentioned there, we're going to do exactly what Dave talked about with Ephesians chapter 1, so you should come. And uh, 7 o'clock, uh, Tuesday night. That's all I got. Okay, so that was a great explanation of some like Bible study methods. Let's, let's ask the question again. Um, what Bible study tools do you use and what commentaries do you recommend for the average person? I'm going to make sure you get your question answered. 
Uh, I'll just say a couple of brief things, pass it on to Joel. I recommended a resource last Tuesday night, which you should have been at. Just <laughs> kidding, just kidding. Um, but uh, there, if you're looking for just like a two-volume set, Old Testament, New Testament commentary resource, I've often enjoyed uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Uh, that's been helpful. There are other ones like that that may be recommended as well. Tools, though, I, I think it, toolbox, right? Like, it, however many tools you can put in the box, the better. And there are all kinds of tools. So if you can spend your Christian life learning how to better study God's word this way, that way, you know, would you rather dig a hole with a shovel or a backhoe? I'd rather dig it with a backhoe. It's going to be a lot quicker, a lot more effective. And you can spend your whole Christian life learning, oh, well, Dave just gave me a nice resource. If I can kind of learn how to do that, that's one more tool in the toolbox. If, um, so I like to think that way. I still am not answering the question, so I'm going to let Joel do that. No, you said Bible knowledge commentary. That one is great. Um, I was just going to do study Bibles. I, I really like the ESV study Bible, and then there's something called the Biblical Theology Study Bible. It used to be called the NIV Zondervan Study Bible. It's done by Zondervan. Anyway, those two are really great. And if you're like, which of the, I don't know which of those I prefer. There's things I like about both of those. So if you just got one of them, a lot of time, like, you know, I can go to these big, long, wordy commentary things. But a lot of times I'm reading, and I just want it fast, and I just pull up one of those two. And like 75% of the time, they'll quickly answer my question. So use the right tool, use the quick tool sometimes. It can be a lot better than pulling out the big power tools and things, right? It's just quick and easy. Uh, in keeping with my theme of no money references, uh, there are a lot of historic commentaries, like tons and tons and tons of them, that have been written in previous generations, and you might have used some of those. And some people you know, like one or the other. Uh, you can find for free on the Internet commentaries on almost the entire Bible, uh, well, you can find them on the entire Bible written by somebody, right? And sometimes you don't know who's, who's good. Uh, my general recommendation is if you're going to read one uh, historic commentary, I highly recommend the commentaries of John Calvin. Uh, Calvin is relevant, surprisingly relevant. Sometimes you read these old commentaries and you'll be like, what are they talking about? Well, it was important 200 years ago if you'd been there, Right. Uh, John Calvin is quite relevant. He's quite pastoral. Uh, not, not the easiest read that you're ever going to encounter, but really pretty accessible. And so uh, you can just, you know, Google Calvin Commentary Romans and read that, and it's detailed, and it's going to do you some good. I, I encourage John Calvin for your free commentary recommendation. Any other thoughts? Since this is very, you know, specific. If we're keeping with free commentaries or free resources, one of the things that I recommend with our church is uh, the app Literal Word for word study. And I think there's a word study question, so I'll say exactly how to use it. But what I like about it is you just hold on to a word, and it, can, it will pretty much do your word study for you. So we might come back to that later, but I, I do recommend that as a free app. Thank you. Okay, and every now and then we're going to take a little break for Pastor Nate to tell us some of the questions that have come in. So I think now is a good time. Um, that question that was just asked, actually, there, were, there was an additional part to it. And Evan, maybe you could answer this based on what you just said. But uh, basically want to know when a passage is explained in greater detail, for example, in Luke 18.8, it says, God will answer speedily. 
An evangelist explained the word speedily as in, quote-unquote, and suddenly in a moment of time. Where did he get that explanation of understanding what exactly speedily means? All right, so I'm going to do this right now. So I have Luke 18 pulled up. I'm going down to verse 18. Oh, wait, wait, verse 8, right? Luke 18, 8. All right, so now I have the NAS on mine right now. But So I will tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. So I hold down on that word, and it shows me the Greek word, and then I can easily quick. There are seven times that that's referred to. So just really quickly, um, quickly, um, <laughs> when, when we're doing, when translators are making decisions, and actually Joel could answer this even could answer this very well. But when translators are making decisions, they're always having to look and say, just as we use the same word sometimes to mean different things. So like the one on my mind right now, I'm from New York, so baseball, run. I can go and I can run, or I can say the Yankees had this many runs today. I'm using the same word, meaning different things based on the context. So we have that with our languages, and they had that back then. And so in essence, what a word study is trying to do is saying, okay, I found seven times that this word is used. What does it mean in these various contexts? And you may find that it's very, uh, it's very similar. It's always saying quickly, speedily. Or you may find that there may be an occurrence or two where it's something that may surprise you or it may be a little bit different. So that's what we're, we're seeking to do in a word study is try to determine what does it mean here. Uh, one last thing that I should say is how do we determine that? Well, what's around it? The context. If I see Yankees, then I'm going to think, okay, this is probably different than if you see um, I put on my running shoes and went for a run. So any follow-up? Um, I don't know if I mentioned what's happening here at Bowen Baptist Church on Tuesday nights or not. <laughs> but um, the last Tuesday night, the, the tentative plan is to teach you how to do a word study. And so... What Evan's just talking about, that's exactly what we're going to do. And I think you'd be like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I had no idea, but that's really cool. And so Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. I, I was going to toss this in there. I mean, somebody's your Greek, Hebrew, that. And so I just wanted to toss in here and emphasize this. In Greek class with Greek students, people have, like, now learned about enough to translate the book of First John or whatever. But they'll get to the end of that and they'll go, okay, so you've translated this verse. What does it really mean in the Greek if you really read it in the Greek? And you know what it is? It's pretty much what the ESV said. It's pretty much what your translation said. Um, so you kind of like get these little opportunity to see, I think, subtle nuances. But I mean, I get done. I'm like, yeah, they said it. And in connection with that, I think Dave wanted to talk about reading multiple translations. <laughs> yeah, if, particularly if you weren't here last night, uh, so when we talk about translations, people will often ask, like, what's the best translation? And that's kind of a, that's a misleading question. Um, every translation, whether you're moving from, uh, you know, Chinese to Russian or back the other direction, every translation is going to either prioritize the original language and its structures or the target language and its structures. And so if you're translating, let's say you're translating from Chinese into English, you can do a translation that preserves a great deal of the Chinese flavor of the text, the structures, the very specific word choices. And in that sense, it's a good translation of the Chinese. The problem is when you read it in English, it sounds super weird. And, and you can do this. You can go out and you can buy 
printed translations of the Chinese classics, and you can hardly read them in English. Like, you're just like, what is happening in this? I can't even understand. Yeah, that's because it's very Chinese. And then alternately, you can have a translator who approaches the text, and they're, they're really focusing on the target language. What makes sense to someone who's reading this in their own language? And so then you can go get a translation that makes really good sense, and it really fits well. But if you speak Chinese, you know that there's, there are a lot of nuances that are being left out from the original. That's happening so that the reader in their own language can follow it. So the question then is, do we want a Bible translation that sticks very close to the original in its structures? Or do we want a Bible translation that is very English and very accessible and readable? And I, that second part is important because the people who heard the scriptures, who got the letters for the first time, were hearing it in their own language. And it was very accessible and very fluid and very readable. The Bible was not written in some kind of magic code that came from God. Right? Sometimes we can sort of fall into that thinking. So the question is, which do we want? Something that's more focused on the originals or something that's more focused on English? And the answer is yes. Yes, you do. So you should use more than one translation. Right? And, and I, I encourage you guys to do that last night. Right? As you're working with the scriptures, you're reading it for yourself, I regularly I move back and forth between four or five different translations all the time, on a weekly basis, certainly. And I would encourage you to do the same. If you have never read from the NASB, uh, that's a very structural translation. It's very close to the originals in its structure. Very awkward English sometimes. But you should read it so that you can see some of those nuances that you're missing in the other translation. If you have never read from the New Living Translation, that is a very English translation. And you will be surprised at the emotion and the fluidity that springs out at you unexpectedly from those texts. You should read it. So I encourage everybody to use multiples for that reason. Pastor Nate, have any other questions come in that you want to pose? Um, just one other one. And I wrote it down in a, somewhere. I don't know where. So I'm going to try to say it how I think it was. This is probably best for you, Joel, but it had to do with just thinking spiritual disciplines in the home and maybe a child realizes that their parent's sinning in some way, telling a lie or, I don't know, some character sin problem. What's the role of the child there? I mean, I know it's kind of swirling around your topic, maybe somewhat loosely, or I may have just worded it poorly, but what would be the biblical counsel to a child do they confront their parent? What do they do? Give me give me a couple of minutes to think first. No, I, it's okay. I mean that's hard because it's it's so situational. So it's going to be so it's going to differ so much by the specific thing we're talking about. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind. I mean I remember, <laughs> I remember as a kid getting huffy because I could see a fault that was there. And so then. You know, it's kind of like I decided if, if I saw my dad sin, then everything else is off the table. No, he's still my, my authority. So you got to process through that. Um, and I, it's going to be just so situational. If uh, there could be a category of sin that is really serious that you, need, you might need to get some help. And I think that's one of the reasons that we have a church body. It also gives you a little help to check yourself because, right, your heart could get all huffy and condemnatory and you've got somebody else who can, maybe, who can give you some input or something and help talk you through it. Um, 
I think there's also a little bit of help we could probably get from the way we see, I see, I'm thinking in the book of Daniel, I'm also thinking some, some passages there, I'm also thinking in Acts, like I think it's four, you've got these situations where you're underneath an authority, but the authority sends, what do you do? And the answer is you don't, it doesn't automatically give you the moral high ground to come in and start trying to be the authority to the authority because I saw you sin. And so you're coming in humbly and hey, I may have misunderstood this. I wanted to talk with you about it because otherwise I think it's gonna be on my mind and heart. It's gonna raise, it's probably gonna raise questions for me. I just kinda wanna get this out there. Can we talk through this? This is how I, I perceived something, but maybe I misunderstood the information. You know, you just come in real humbly and set it out that way. Um, I think, go for it. No, you want me to read? <laughs> no, however. Oh, that's great. Just to, maybe to bring this back to scripture, a helpful phrase, and not the exact same context, but I think we can learn something from it. This is 1 Timothy 5.1. Um, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And I think that gives us at least some kind of framework in that setting if this was your father, what do you do? Encourage him. <laughs> Hard rebuke? Eh. <laughs> that doesn't seem biblical, especially when you're still in the home. But That's great. Um, I just wanted to address a, the backside of this, because obviously this is a very difficult situation to be in. One of the ways that we can avoid being in this very difficult situation, if we're the spouse or we're the, the parent in that situation, is to practice the spiritual discipline of confession to your children or to your spouse if you've offended them. Um, and one of the great ways to do this is, because the answer is not never do anything wrong. Like, sure, yeah, put that one up on the board. But when we do, are we, are we apologizing? Are we confessing, hey, I said that, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Christ didn't teach us to act that way. Please forgive me. One of the best ways you can check yourself on this discipline is just to ask that question. When was the last time that you apologized to your kids? When was the last time that you apologized to your wife? Or, or whatever. And if the answer is... I think... Then that is a great sign from the Lord that you should develop this practice intentionally. Okay. Thank you. Oh, did you want to say something, Greg? Well, no, I, I just piggybacking off what um, Dave said is I think the key on either side of the equation, either the parent or the, or the kid, is what's your heart behind it? And I think we've all been there where somebody comes in your face and does this. Well, it's, it's over because he's in your face and you're not listening anymore. <clears throat> so if, you're, if, you're, if your purpose as a child is is to point out a sin that concerns you in your parents' life and your heart is restoration. You're going to do it in a way where, hey, Dad, I love you, but the way you spoke to Mom, that wasn't right. And, and he can sense that. Um, it's a lot different than, than pointing your finger at your father and accusing. Um, so just I think it's, it's helpful to just check yourself and be like, if the shoe's on the other foot and when I, when I drop the ball and my parents come to me, you know, how am I receptive and what, what shuts me down? Thank you. Okay, so um, let's go back a little bit to Bible intake and prayer. Um, 
what's some of the best advice or counsel you've ever received or heard about Bible intake or prayer? Or is there a piece of counsel you think we would all benefit from? Maybe, maybe someone who didn't preach a sermon on that. Uh, I think, and we've talked about this, Joel mentioned it today too, just about, I think some of the guys have, that this isn't a solo thing. So I think the idea of accountability has been huge for me, finding somebody else that's in your corner. I was talking to a fellow this week, not part of our church, who, who was just admitting that he struggled in this area. And I said, that's a huge step by by reaching out to another brother and being like, hey, how can you help me grow? Can you wh What works for you? These kind of things. So I think just the idea that, you know, for me, if I'm getting up in the morning and it's just me and it's myself, it's easy to be like, whatever, hit snooze. But sometimes having an accountability partner um, has been huge to be like, hey, are you in the Word today? Just the text or whatever. Um, just so it's not just you. It's easy here, and it's been spoken about today, to, to say the right things and do the right things and feel the right things. But Monday morning... Um, when you're by yourself or you're driving a long ways by yourself, it's easy to, to lose sight of that. But I think, and we have that access is so beautiful with cell phones of all the things they're bad for, it can be good for, for just simple communication to, to realize that we're part of a family and we don't, we don't have to do this alone and we can be a real blessing to each other. So any other thoughts anyone has? No, no, no. I meant about the, the Bible intake. Sorry. Any, open it up to anyone else. <laughs> um, two things come to my mind. One of them that has really helped me is writing in my Bible. And I at one point bought like a, a couple of these really cheap like $5 Bibles because, okay, David mentioned, uh, I grew up in this, the same church that he was also talking about where the pastor would talk about this really huge like $120 Bible. And it was, it's beautiful and calfskin leather all this stuff and one day I was sitting in church and my brother had his pen like this and he bumped against my bible and it wrote <laughs> brothers and sisters it wrote on the gold pages <laughs> and the uh, the rest of the sermon what I thought about was how mad I was at my brother my 120 dollar bible so um anyway my solution to that and well what I noticed was I would never mark in the Bible because it was so beautiful and if I made a mark then later I didn't like that mark I disagreed with myself or I didn't my line was crooked and so I bought this five dollar Bible it's called you know word Bible search for a word Bible and I just marked it like crazy when I did a read through and I put it on the shelf and I got down a fresh copy and I do another read through and I'll mark it like crazy. And I, had, I don't think twice about underlying starring. It's like, this is probably the only time I'll ever look at that, but I just enjoy it. So that was super helpful to me. Um, and the other thing that's somewhat similar is like sp speed reading. And that's just, there's times when it's really fun to study, but there's times when it's really fun to just read a bunch. And I do that with an audio book or audio Bible. And so I'll have the audio while I'm looking at it. doesn't take as long. Pastor, or <laughs> yes, Pastor Greg said earlier, the same notion, like you read and you listen and you can get through a lot really fast. So I love that. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think one of the pieces of advice that really helped me when I was about university age, I had gotten actually in decent habits by that point of reading my Bible in the morning before my day really started. And I went off to university and I was like, okay, I'm going to be really busy. I need to keep doing this. And I had this like late night 
custodial job that started at midnight and then class was at whatever early hour of the morning. And so here I am, set my alarm super early to try to get up and read my Bible. And it's like two days in. I was just so tired. I just want to go back to bed. I don't know what I'm going to do, but reading my Bible in the morning is just not going to work. And I heard someone give the, this advice. I think he worded it this way. And it was basically to give God uh, the best hour of your day. And I think sometimes we get really hung up on the morning. I mean, Greg said, um, you know, for him and his trade, that's when it needs to happen. That's the, that's the best hour of Greg's day. I mean, I say hour. I think just time slot. And I made a shift there in university at that time that I was, the time I was reading my Bible every day was different, but it was also really consistent in how my day was laid out. And everybody in here, your day is so different. I mean, um, the life of a stay-at-home mom, for example, with four children versus someone working night shift versus someone who's got a really neat and tidy eight to five. I think if you look at your schedule and just go, okay, what's the point in my day consistently where I'm alert, where I'm focused, where I could sit and get along with God and uh, that'd be quality time. And you know, sometimes you look at your day and you're like, uh, I don't really know. <laughs> but there's probably some slot that's better than the other. So that was helpful for me. Next question. Um, regarding spiritual disciplines in the home, what have you found challenging? Have you had to do any repenting how has God helped you grow? Yes, lots of repenting. Um, I think challenging is, is is consistency because life happens, right? And and one of my dad's favorite lines was, "Nothing worthwhile is easy." Um, what comes easy to me is is sloth and sin. Like I naturally wake up, I don't want to wake up. And I think about myself and all the things I want and I'm hungry and yada, yada, yada. So that's, that's what comes easy. So um, I think just that's when some continue to just having to repent and Lord, Lord, give me the strength to do the, the next right thing tomorrow and to, to make, to do, again, at a day's point, to, to do something, right? So um, I was given, uh, Joel had mentioned that the New City Catechism, my brother had given me that um, Christmas a number of years ago, and uh, it was just, it was something. So we, we opened it up as a family, the word catechism kind of scared us, but we opened the book up the same, and we're like, hey, this isn't actually all that scary. And, and then we, it, we utilized that, and it was a good place to get, to get started, right? It didn't have to be this, this, you know, Joel mentioned that too, it didn't have to be this mountain peak thing, but it could be something small, and it gets the ball rolling. And, uh, yeah, so, so, so just I'd encourage you to, to do something like that. Don't, don't maybe worry about, hey, I'm gonna, are we going to have a streak that's, you know, six months long? Just, just worry about tomorrow. If I can go also back, and this will connect to last question, too, because this was advice. I think one of the best pieces of advice that uh, my wife and I had, and this was in our premarital counseling from our pastor, is finishing the day praying together. And I think that this does a couple of things for us. Uh, number one, it finishes the day with the Lord, oftentimes interceding for various people uh, based upon the day. But then another side of this that connects to the family side is that uh, it enables us to not let the sun go down on our wrath. And there, especially I remember early in our marriage, certain times where we're ready to go to bed, and then it starts a conversation because there's something between us. 
and we're about to go before the Lord together. And I think that's another great um, byproduct of family worship in the home and family worship together with our spouses is that it reminds us that we're approaching God together and is there a wrong that's between us. So I think that was uh, an ad- a piece of advice that we have been so thankful for. Any other questions come in? Here's one. Back to the matter of translations. How do you reconcile the passages that are in some and not others? You know, like ending of Mark, maybe, or Joel? (laughs) (laughs) Doctrine? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a hard hard one. Um, And so a little bit, so just explanations for starters, what's happening? underneath and why you see that like and sometimes you'll see like you'll be reading along maybe a verse 26 and then it'll be a verse 28 you're like somebody doesn't know how to count um so what's going on underneath this though is so scripture is written but there there's not printers and there's not like a database or a publisher and so they're not printing they're handwriting and you try it it's actually a pretty fun activity take a book of the bible and then hand copy on the other side and you can do your best, but you probably will miss a word or two. Um, and you might even miss a line because sometimes, like, say, two lines start with the same word. You go down, you think you did that line, you look, and you pick up at the next line. Stuff like that happens. So that happened as the Bible's written, handwritten over and over, and you get copies. Um, it's pretty, this is standard discussion for all ancient texts. We have to deal with this problem. And it's pretty standard that you might have, like, I don't know, 14, 20, 23 copies of, a, of an ancient text. I'm taking, talking major ancient texts that you know of and you've heard about, okay? And they'll be like 800 years after it was written will be our earliest set of manuscripts, written out forms of it. Um, that's kind of typical. There's a pretty cool graphic that lays all this out. If you're interested, I can e- email me. I'll reply back with it. Um, and the astonishing thing about the New Testament is our first documents are probably about 30 to 40 years after they were written. (laughs) What? And our total manuscripts are up in the 5,000 range. It's, and and it goes up from there because if you start doing like versions, translations, then, and all these other different forms of things, it's massive. So the New Testament is peerless by like multiple orders of magnitude in terms of the confidence we have in it. And I could talk about the Old Testament, similar stuff going on there that's pretty awesome. Um, so, I, I mean, I'd start out and say, you've got a lot of data to support this book that you're holding is the book that God gave. Why then the missing verses and, and that? Well, you still do have differences between those. And so you have this group that were handwritten and they haven't, this group that don't. A lot of what's going on though is just placement. So it happens a lot in the gospels where let's say in Mark, it was there. And in Luke, somebody came along and they were like, I think this verse goes here and they wrote it in but they were doing it from memory because they knew Mark. So they put it in there, but it, and it probably, I mean, the guy who wrote that or copied it probably shouldn't have done what he did. He wrote it in there, but he didn't make up a verse. And if you read across in Mark, it's the same flow. It's just in that spot, Luke didn't record it, Mark did. Point being, it's not like it's changing the message. If you were reading in Mark, you would have read it. 
and, and God chose not to record it in Luke. Somebody made a mistake, honestly, copied it in, probably shouldn't have. The overwhelming majority of these are like Jesus Christ versus Christ Jesus. I mean, it's constant spelling. Um, I had to do a class where we caught, we did this for like the first half of the book of John. It's a lot of work, really boring, because most of the time you're doing spelling, but you still know what the word is. Okay, but you have these places that are like a missing verse type thing. Like, why is my translation missing that? And that's because over time, the, the modern translations have gotten, we've gathered more of these texts, we've looked at them, and we've realized, like, you know what? Probably that verse was in Mark, but it wasn't in Luke here. And in other cases, that happens in the epistles, because the epistles do also have parallel stuff. From there, all I can really, I just have to leave without getting too far in the weeds and just say, if you're interested in a specific verse, I'm happy to look at it with you. And feel free, like, let's just talk about it. And then you get kind of into the weeds, and you look down through, and each one is its own story. Um, so I'm happy to do that. It's, we, we'll do a little journey through the weeds together. It's kind of fun. So there. Thank you. One more quick translation question that is literally hot off the press, just came in. It was said to read multiple versions to get comparisons. Are there versions that are less desirable? I think that's a good question after the comments we've heard, so... Yeah, it was my comment. So, yeah, there there are some. So there are some translations that are what we call theologically motivated, right? Um, and these are the ones that you see, uh, for example, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the New World Translation, where they're just going in and changing <laughs> things that are in the way. Um, and you see, this is it's a more complicated version of theological motivation. But you see something similar in the Douay Reims, which is the standard Catholic translation, because they're not translating from the ancient text, they're translating from the Latin, and then the Latin, it's a whole big story, but there are changes made intentionally to the text to support certain theological positions. Those translations are not, they're dangerous because they're not actually faithful translations of the text. They're manipulations of the text to support someone's position. But aside from that, I would say, so like there's that. Those are all dangerous and bad and you should stay away from them. Um, and if you don't know which ones they are, you don't have to worry about anything you would buy in an ordinary you know, Bible uh, bookstore or something like that probably, but you can always ask your elders. Um, and then secondly, there are, there are popular paraphrases. Paraphrases are not translations. Paraphrases are just taking, uh, you know, you read a passage and then you're trying to express the same thought in your own words. Uh, there's one really in particular that's been very, very popular within our generation, which is the message. And the message is not a translation. It says that right in the cover. It's not a translation. It's kind of a devotional thought, which is why sometimes it is super weird. Um, but because it's so popular, it's often included in Bible software and stuff like that in the list of translations. But the message doesn't claim to be a translation. So if everyone could please stop hating on the message, it was doing what something different. It's just a poor little paraphrase, okay? Uh, <laughs> but you should also not read the message as your only Bible intake because it is not a translation of the Bible. Uh, it's Peterson's, like, Bible vibe riff. Uh, <laughs> And so, so that leaves us with like genuine translations. 
what we call faithful translations, uh, no matter how far they are to the source language side or how far they are to the English language side, all of those are, they're always going to involve questions of interpretation. But every faithful translation, every genuine attempt to represent the text is worthwhile, reliable, and, and worth reading. But I always would say in multiplicity, don't, don't park on one. I got another question that came in, Desiree. Unless awesome. you've got a burning one you want to... Uh, no, no. Okay. Um, any practical tips on singing together as a family through the week? I think the idea of, hey, we sing God's word. How do we do that? And I know who the expert is on this panel. Hunters don't sing. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. Every Christian sings. Um, so now he has to. Don't sing well. I think that's a great question. Um, who, who wants to start on that? Any, any tips? Thinking that we're all in different spots on that, you know, people who would say, man, we don't sing well, and other people are like, this is our thing. Um, any of you guys do that? Want to speak to it? One of the things that we've just tried to do, so our, our kids are young, and so they we, we're needing to teach a lot. And so one of the things that we do is based on I'll just say generally the church calendar, trying to teach them. So just coming through Christmas or around Thanksgiving, uh, those we typically have one song that we're trying to teach them related to uh, that time of year. Um, that's one idea of uh, something, something just taking, uh, especially, uh, again, all my kids are six and under, so we are in the stage of teaching. So our goal is to be able to communicate and teach them good songs and one of the ways in which we do that is uh, in relation to the church calendar. Anytime that we're, not, we're really not consistent on this, but anytime we do, I'm always glad that we did. But yeah, we'll get together sometimes, sing a song together as family. Um, the, uh, the prettiest member of my family has started a new habit this year that uh, anytime she'll, she'll come up stairs after and she'll like, oh, I'm so glad I'm doing this. But she just started at the beginning of the hymnal, and she made a goal to sing one song every day. And she's just working her way, front of the hymnal to the back of it. So she's always saying to me, like, oh, I just love this. Can't believe why I didn't I do this before. And I always think, that sounds really great. I should do that. So, and I don't. But I, I should, so. Okay. Do you have any? I, I did have another one come in, but sure. if you want to. Do you want that to be the final question? Is that, is that a good place oh, to start? I'm not exactly sure what it means, so I could clarify or you can go for it. Why don't you go for it? Okay. So the final question, kind of summarizing and wrapping up in a, in a graceful way, because that's the last sermon that we heard was so full of grace. Um, it's easy for almost all of us to get discouraged about our walk with God or our struggle to cultivate good habits or our struggles with sin. For those of us who might be feeling that right now, who might at be at some point, can you take a few moments to encourage us from the gospel and from scripture? Well, I think any of these discussions, it also does start with the gospel. So, you know, Nate's, you know, brought up the gospel in his opening prayer. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ and you haven't acknowledged that you're a sinner on your way to destruction and that 
your only hope of salvation is faith in Christ alone, that's where you got to start. Um, but if you start there, you, you are saved. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're on your way to eternity. Rest in that. You know, uh, you know Pastor Nate spoke on grace. Our, we believe we're saved by grace, but do you believe you're kept by grace, that you're not going to lose that? So there's huge freedom in that. Um, and this is something that always comes up when I'm discussing uh, with, with the cults. They're, they're like, but you still got to do this. You got to do this. I don't read my Bible because I'm trying to earn favor with God. I read my Bible because it's, it's life. It, it's, and this was spoke about too, right? And I love my Savior, and I truly believe that, that these are the words of truth, and that without this, I'm completely lost. So that's why I want to be in God's Word. So, again, you've got to be saved first, but don't ever let Satan accuse you and be like, you didn't read your Bible today. You are a failure. God's got no interest in you. And, and those are just lies. Get, get, your word, get your nose in the Word and see that those are lies. So start there. And, and rest in that and, and grow in that because, because you are saved. So just sometimes I think we can get it backwards and, and do ourselves a huge disservice. I just want to maybe mention one specific thing that I know can be really discouraging and oppressive for people. And that is, you know, we talked a lot today about uh, kind of a Christian family worship thing. But... We spent years, Desiree and I spent years and years in a situation where almost all the people that we were ministering to who were believers did not have Christian families. And they were the only person in their family who was a believer, or maybe there was one in somebody else. And so people with non, you know, non-believing spouses, non-believing parents, non-believing kids. And so that may be a situation that you're in. I think it's actually probably a situation where at least one member of our household is not a believer that many of us are in. And that can be a very discouraging place to be and think like, hey, here we are, you know, what, what can I do? My, my wife doesn't even want to listen to it. And I would just say that we can feel, we can take on ourselves the responsibility of doing the work of God. And we can think like, oh, I got to, you know, my, my son is here today and he's, he's going to listen to me read the Bible. So I better read it super well and do the right prayer. And maybe he'll listen to the, to the gospel if I do that. And and then, you know, he just, he's on his phone and I, I've screwed it up again and I, I can't do anything. Brothers and sisters, do not put yourself in the place of God. God has, in his kindness and in his grace, allowed you to be his, his one part of his outreach to this person in your family. Just by your presence there. Just by the fact that there's this moment where they know you're going to say something about God again, aren't you? This is part of God's grace and kindness to this person. But you are not God, and you don't have to take that responsibility. If God allows you to be in a situation where your wife says, well, you should go, go ahead, go ahead and read. I, I don't mind. It's okay. Great. Then take that opportunity and entrust it to the Lord. And we had so many friends who would come in, they would be excited, and they would say, thank God my parents let me read the Bible to them today. Or thank God my, my mom said, uh, you can pray for me. I'm so thankful. And we're thankful with them. This is something that we should be grateful for. Do not let Satan use it to oppress you, but put your confidence in God and do whatever God allows you to do in that space. Um, maybe just an overview of thought from Scripture. 
where do you go in the scriptures and you find like the really, really good guy consistently? <laughs> you know, um, do you find it in a king? Do you find it in a priest? Do you find it in a patriarch? Abraham, I mean, we could start talking about these guys' lives and, and they're very, very broken. And where we find perfection is in Jesus Christ. And I think that one of the reasons God gave us all these examples of brokenness and struggle is that we would see that this, it, it keeps us looking at Christ, not ourselves. And um, he's given us examples that we can resonate with. Oh, yeah, like I'm just like that loser king <laughs> or that priest and my shortcomings. And we get discouraged about those. But all those examples and, and the flow of scripture were ultimately pointing to Christ. And I think our own struggles should do that same thing. Um, where we just fall on him, we we can confess our sin to him, our brokenness, and much like I said this morning, God, I, I, this is hard for me. Will you help me? And um, I think that's a great comfort and encouragement.